This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. What is the purpose of the Jewish people? Why did God put the Jewish people here on earth? You see this in a fulfillment of their destiny, in a fulfillment of their purpose in Zechariah 8.23. In Zechariah 8.23, where it says, Thus saith the Lord his host, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold of all the languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So, there you see the priest. That's 10 men, 10 Gentile, 10 non-Jewish men speaking many languages, and symbolically all the languages of the world, as he said, and he's taking hold of the skirt of him that's a Jew, and he's saying, they're saying, bring us to God. That's what a priest does. A priest brings people to God. And so they're saying, bring us to God. We've heard that God is with you. We're going with you. You must take us. You must represent us to God. That's the purpose and the fulfillment that the people that the Jewish people were priest to or the people that the Jewish people as priests represented to God are Gentiles. That's why this prophecy in in Zechariah 8.23 is so important because it shows what God called the Jewish people to, to be a kingdom priest representing the Gentiles to God. And so... Satan, in order to block the Jewish people from fulfilling their high commission of representing as priests the Gentiles to God, Satan has the Jewish people all caught up with keeping themselves separate and getting away, not getting close to the Gentile people. Meanwhile, while that's going on, the Gentile world is waiting for the Jewish people to become the kingdom of priests that God called them to, to represent them to God. And there's a real sense of hurry up in the hymn, O Zion Haste. 
Oh, Zion, hurry up. Oh, Zion, haste thy mission high fulfilling to tell to all the world that God is light, that he who made all nations is not willing one soul should perish lost in shades of night. Publish glad tidings, tidings of peace, tidings of Jesus, redemption and released. Behold how many thousands still are lying bound in the darksome prison house of sin with none to tell them of the Savior's dying or of the life he died to win. Anyway, proclaim to every people, tongue and nation, that God in whom they live and move is love. Tell them how he stooped to save his lost creation and died on earth that we might live above. Oh, Zion, hurry up. Oh, Zion, haste. Oh, Jewish people, hurry up. Like my Jewish cousin who just called me right now, I should say to her, hurry up. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Hurry up and be received again by God so that the world can experience what it says in Romans 11 and 15. Romans 11 15, which says, talking about the Jewish people, if the casting away of them, the Jewish people, if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be? Life from the dead. Now get that verse. If the casting away of them be the reconciling, the subject is the world. If the casting away is the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be? Life from the dead. For who? For the world. Now, and that's why the Lord spoke in verse 21 about the Gentiles trusting in his name. And what is his name that the Gentiles are gonna trust in? His name is Jesus, which means God saves. So the Gentiles, it's a very unusual name, by the way, that he has. What's your name? God saves the Messiah. Okay. Yeah. Jesus, it means God saves. So the Gentiles will trust that through him, God would save them. His name is Christ. His name is Messiah, which means that he was sent from God, anointed, sent from God. So when the Gentiles will trust his name, they're going to trust that he came from God, like he said, like you said, in John 13, 3, John 13, 3, like it's written, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he was come from God and went to God. So by trusting his name as Christ or the Messiah, the Gentiles would trust that he came from God and he's gonna return back to God. Now, after the Lord has healed now this man, this man, he was possessed with the devil, he was blind, he was dumb, and he healed him, the Lord healed him, and it says, it says in verse 23, the people were amazed. All the people, all the people were amazed and they asked this question, is not this the son of David? Now, what amazed the people was this question, could Jesus be the Messiah? Could he be the Messiah? That for them was an amazing question to them. The question, could Jesus really be the Messiah, was amazing to the people just as the question, could Jesus be God? Could Jesus be God? That was a question that Paul had on the road to Damascus. Very interesting to see the points that are drawn out in this history of the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus. Very interesting in verses of Acts 9, Acts 9, 1 through 6, where first of all, it introduces Paul to us. It tells us about Paul here. It says, Saul, yet breathing out, think about that, yet breathing out, threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found, if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, 
he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed and he came near to Damascus, suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? The Lord said, Arise, go into the city, I'll be told you. The record of this history here, as it starts here in Acts 9-1, begins, as I was saying here, with Paul breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the Lord. You know, that's a very graphic picture, very graphic picture for us that is like Paul's like a raging bull. Every time the bull breathes in, it's really only to fill his lungs with oxygen to make him, enable him to go destroy, charge, attack, trample. It's Paul. That's a picture of Paul here. And it says in verse 1 there in Acts 9-1 that he's breathing out threatenings of slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. He's like a bull breathing. It means that Paul is like filling his lungs with oxygen just simply to get energy to destroy the disciples of the Lord Jesus. And for Paul to destroy the disciples of the Lord Jesus, that was second best for him. That was second best. Why? Because it was all that Paul could do. Because Paul, what he really wanted to do was to destroy Jesus himself. But that was his first choice, but he couldn't get access to Jesus. So instead, he's resorting to the next best option, which is to destroy the disciples of the Lord Jesus. That's the scene that's painted for us in Acts 9. It's a Paul who's breathing out these threatenings and slaughter. It's really against the Lord Jesus, but all he can do is against the disciples. So now Paul, like a raging bull, he's got these letters that he wanted from the high priest that gives him the authority to go on a search and find any man or woman who believed in Jesus, and then tie him up and bring him back to Jerusalem. And so as Paul is now thinking about how much he hates the Lord Jesus, and he's on this road to Damascus, he's struck down to the ground with blindness, and when he's struck down to the ground, he knows who struck him down to the ground. God struck him down to the the ground, obviously, and at that moment, Paul knows God is against me. God is against me. And since Paul was just thinking about how much he hated Jesus, Paul is forced to face the question, could Jesus be God? Could Jesus be God? Could it really be true that Jesus is God? And so Paul asked the question in verse 9, who art thou, Lord? And he's already thinking that, that God has just struck him down. Could be Jesus. So when Paul answers, when God answers this question in verse 6, Acts 9, 6, he says, I am Jesus, Paul's already considering that God who opposed him was, is Jesus. So the question that Jesus might be God left Paul in what's called in Acts 9, 6, he trembling and astonished. The idea that Jesus is God left Paul shaking like a leaf. Why? Because he never expected that. He never expected that Jesus would be God himself. And that's what made Paul question so meaningful when he asks in, in Acts 9.5, Acts 9, who art thou, Lord? Because in that, in that one simple question are two questions. There's a surface question, and there's a more profound question underneath it. The surface question, the first question that he asked in Acts 9.5 is, oh, who art thou, Lord? Which really, uh, Jesus, is that you? Are you God? That's his question, his first question. Because Paul 
breathing out these threatenings and slaughter against Jesus, and it's obvious that God was against Paul, and so the obvious question is that Paul's asking is, Jesus God? And that shook him up. That shook Paul up. But there's a second, more profound question that he's asking there that in Acts 9, 5, where he says, Who art thou, Lord? And that's the question that even more shook him up, and it's this. If Jesus is God, then who is God? That's the question. If Jesus is God, then who is God? The first question is, who are you, God? The second question is, who is God? The second question went down to the deep core of Paul because it wasn't just a question, is Jesus the Messiah? It's a more fundamental question that touched on Paul realizing, if Jesus is God, that means I've never understood who God is. That's the profoundness of it. If Jesus is God, then that means that all I've been taught and all I've learned about who God is has been wrong because never in my wildest dreams would I ever expected for Jesus to be God. I, and if Jesus is God, I've never known who God is. And after that experience, Paul finds it incumbent on him. He must disappear uh, out of public view for three years in Arabia. That's a good place for a Jew to disappear in, <laughs> Arabia. <laughs> he left the Jewish world. He left the world of believers for three years just to be alone. Leave me alone for three years because he has one purpose. He's got to take the scriptures and he's going to learn all over again who God really is. He's got to learn that Jesus is God and that the person of Jesus is the vivid illustration of who God is as Jesus is the revelation of God, of who he is, because it says in Hebrews 1.3, Hebrews 1.3, that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. Perfect image. You know, in my book, Changed. Uh, you can get a copy back there, but anyways, in my book, Changed, I describe how I, as a Jew, came to understand that Jesus is God. Now, the title of the book is Changed, and it's interesting to go onto Amazon because I don't think they've sold over 300 copies on Amazon, but there are over 300 reviews of the book on Amazon. So people feel very compelled to write a review on a book they didn't buy on Amazon. But anyway, and of those 300, more than 300 reviews, the great grand number that are positive are 17. All right. <laughs> So 17 are positive and over 300 are hateful as an understatement. Negative is an understatement. They're hateful. And as one reviewer wrote this, none of them liked my writing style. Sorry, Gene, you proofed it for me. None of them liked my writing style. They all said I'm an amateur writer. So the one that was positive says, I must agree with the majority of the reviewers who point out the shortcomings of Mr. Cantor's writing and editing. You're not offended, are you, Gene? The writer goes on. My question is this, why are the bulk of the reviewers so disturbed by this unsolicited mail order that, to not only take the time to post a review as opposed to just pitching the package in a five seconds, but write the vile, invictive lines like, line my hamster page with this book, use it as toilet paper, flaming hot garbage? Someone sent them an unsolicited bulk rate direct mail package. So what? Toss it in the round file like any piece of junk mail. Why rant? Because they were disturbed by it. <laughs> this one is different because as amateurish as the work may be, 
This author proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. On this basis and by the visceral reaction of the reviews, I'd say Mr. Cantor has succeeded. <laughs> all right. So of all those 300 reviews, it makes it clear that the title of the book was misnamed. It shouldn't be called Changed. It should be called Amazed. Amazed that Jesus is God. And the idea that Jesus is God amazed Paul. Just as the idea that Jesus is the Messiah amazed the people in verse 23, where it says, and all the people were amazed in verse 23. So that has to get down to why? What was it about the Lord Jesus that amazed the people that drew them to this? And we know what was amazed, what were they amazed at, because it says at the end of verse 23, what was amazed, amazing to them was this question. Is not this the son of David? That was amazing to them. That question, is not this the son of David? In other words, is not this the Messiah? That was amazing to them. So why was that? Why were they so amazed? Why were they so amazed at the possibility that Jesus is the Messiah? All the people, it says that in verse 23, all the people were amazed at the idea of Jesus being the Messiah because they never expected the Messiah would come from, for example, the lowly town of Nazareth. Does that? John 146, John 146. And Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? The town of Nazareth was and still is very much looked down on. Today it's an Arab town in Israel. It's really not very respected at all. There's nothing wrong with Logan Heights. There's nothing wrong with Compton. But it's like saying that a president of the United States came from Logan Heights or from Compton. No one expected the Messiah would come from such a place like Nazareth. And so that's one reason. Another reason why all the people were amazed that Jesus, could be the, that Jesus was the Messiah was because they never would have expected that the Messiah would have such lowly parents it says in, in Matthew 13.55, Matthew 13.55, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Remember, I told you the story one time when Pastor Jim and I, Gene was there too. Anyway, we were out in Desert Hot Springs and we we're driving around visiting the Jews and there was this group of Orthodox rabbis walking down the street. I said to Jim, stop the car, stop the car. I want to get out. Jim says, you sure you want to do that? Yes, yes, you know, you know, get out there, go running up there as a young believer. I says, oh, I'm Jewish, I believe in Jesus. And, you know, and I remember the one rabbi, he stroked his beard, they all have beards, he stroked his beard. And he goes, he goes, I'm oh, sorry, I didn't catch that. Which yeshiva did you say you studied at? <laughs> I was so offended. I came back, I slammed the door. What happened? Never mind. So, okay. Mary and Joseph were poor, and he was a carpenter. It's not a very high profession. It's like being, you know, it wasn't like being a priest or a scholar. And that Jesus the Messiah would have poor parents, that amazed the people. Now, another reason they were amazed is that they're amazed that Jesus is the Messiah because they never expected the Messiah would be humble and meek. That's not what you would expect for the Messiah, John, I mean, Matthew eleven twenty nine, Matthew eleven twenty nine, where Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. I mean, the religious leaders were not meek. 
You know, it says in Matthew 23, 5, Matthew 23, 5, the Lord talked about the religious leaders, is all their works they do for to be seen of men, for they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms of the feasts and chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called rabbi, rabbi. They, they love that. See? The religious leaders wanted to be considered above all prominent. That's what they want, prominent. And the people were amazed that the greatest ruler of all, the Messiah, should not seek prominence, but he should be humble and meek. They were also amazed about the Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah, because they, they never expected that the Messiah would not immediately defeat the Romans and restore independence to the country. They knew the Messiah was going to be from Micah 5.2, from Micah 5.2, when he said, But thou, Bethlehem of Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth him unto me, him that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old of everlasting. They knew in Zechariah 12.8, Zechariah 12.8, that in that day the Lord shall defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them in that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day that, I, that I will, he will seek to destroy all those nations that come against him. That's why the disciples in Acts 1.6, in Acts 1, they asked the Lord, he says, when therefore they were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom? to Israel, are you gonna get rid of these Romans? The idea that Jesus was, is the Messiah and didn't completely overthrow the Romans was amazing to them. And then the, the other thing that was amazing to them was that Jesus is the Messiah because they never expected the Messiah would teach to not resist being beaten and not fight back. In Matthew 5.39, Matthew 5.39, when he said, but I say unto you that you, should, that you resist not evil, Whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So the idea that the Messiah is teaching people to accept humiliation, that's repulsive. Just the concept that God would want to humble a person, that's unthinkable. That God would use his mighty hand to bring a person low, oh no, that can never be, I never can accept 1 Peter 5, 6, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. There's one aspect about the great leader, Moses, that the people really didn't like to accept or to really to better to ignore this in Numbers 12.3, Numbers 12.3, where it says, the man Moses was very meek above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. That's Moses. But the picture that the people had of Moses was not that. They had a picture of him being very strong, very powerful, ruling with an iron fist. That's how the people looked at Moses, their great leader, but not as the meekest man on the face of the earth. Let's just kind of forget that scripture. That's no good. The people were amazed. People were amazed in verse 23 that Jesus was the Messiah because they never expected that he would accept this personal humiliation described in Isaiah 53.7. Isaiah 53.7, where it says he was oppressed, he was afflicted, but he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shears is dumb, but he opens not his mouth, or so he opens not his mouth. They're expecting him to fight back, fight his enemies back. That can't be the Messiah. Verse 19 of this chapter, Matthew 12, 19. Matthew 12, 19. He shall not strive, nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. People were amazed at that. People were also quite amazed that Jesus was the Messiah because he came into this such direct conflict with the religious leaders.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.